with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning and welcome to After 9. I'm your host, Rez Krebs. I'm here with Art Betke, Trudy Clausen, and Peter Ewart, our Friday panel. And uh, today we should start off with a couple of uh, scandals in various conservative parties here and abroad. First, uh, as people have probably heard, Patrick Brown has been kicked out of the Conservative Party leadership race. The allegations are that he had campaign workers paid directly by a separate corporation. Um, you know, and he's claiming that, of course, it's members of the Polyev team and people inside the Conservative Party that are actually trying to hijack this uh, race and, and keep him out because he's he could actually win an election. Art, we'll start with you. What do you read of this? Is this internal party bickering? Was this necessary to take him down? What do you think? Uh, I don't think it was necessary to take him down because he had no chance anyway. Uh, like he said, uh, they feared his progressive approach to conservatism was going to win. Like he had 4% support. He's no way he's going to win. So... And uh, what what he called a progressive uh, approach to conservatism is commonly called liberalism. It's like uh, Aaron O'Toole's uh, liberal light uh, type of policies. That's basically what he was doing. A lot of uh, conservative uh, supporters and the like, they called him a liberal plant to try and take over the conservative party. Uh, and uh, when the so-called conservatives act like liberals in their policies... They don't win elections, so that would make sense if the Liberals tried to help him get elected uh, as Conservative leader. That guarantees him not winning. So, <laughs> in, in when it comes to an election, yeah, yeah, he had um, there. There was an investigation by Rebel News way back last month, uh, beginning of last month, and uh, they told they were found out then that he was uh, running a basically a secret operation and. Uh, uh, he had uh, senior employees from the city of Brampton working on his campaign, flying all over the country while being paid by the city. And there's a lot of scandal about that. Uh, so yeah, I, I suppose they had reason to kick him out, but they really didn't need to. Right. I wonder if it gives him more ammunition if he ever gets back in. Trudy, what do you think? Was this a necessary move if he's uh, breaking those those financing laws, or what, should this have just been allowed to play out in the for the voters in the conservative leadership race? Well, I mean, if he's breaking the financial laws, I mean that's a big deal, right? We kick out people. I mean, people can go to prison for that, right? So it's 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 not a minor deal. Um, <laughs> I was surprised that he ran in the first place. I was surprised that he there would be enough support for him. But then he is mayor of Brampton, as he you know made sure everybody knew on his letterhead. Uh, so there's a lot of things about politics that I find surprising, or about people's how you know the kind of people people support. So I mean, I, he would never have been on the ballot if it had been up to me, but. Uh, just because of, of who he is and the allegations around women, and you know, but I, I'm, I sort of have really bad reactions to men who are creepy. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm not giving you a very uh, astute political answer here. But no, I get it. Of... It's and most people vote with their guts anyway, right? <laughs> this is what you're getting from me. Yeah, yeah. 
Peter, what's your what's your read on this? I mean, there there are serious allegations, but you know, Patrick Brown has said uh, to counter them that the party is just afraid of him because, as Art and Trudy say, he's on the progressive side of things. What do you think of uh, this whole debacle? Uh, well, you know, maybe it's a case of the uh, of the pot calling the kettle black in terms of <laughs> in terms of both uh, factions or, or the m- multiple factions within the party. You know, who are engaged in a nasty fight, right? You know, Brown got the initiative right at the beginning there because uh, the, the Conservative Party hadn't released the, the details about, uh, you know, what the, the charges were that uh, necessitated him to be expelled. But then, of course, now it's come out that the whistleblower uh, from his own campaign is the one who, uh, you know, was bringing these, uh, these charges forward. You know, so you know, maybe the only thing that I would ever agree with Patrick Brown about is that he, and in one interview, he said political parties are private clubs. And, of course, he supports a private club. But I, for me, the, it just raises the whole problem of a party-based system, you know, where you have these private clubs that uh, supposedly are going to be running the country, and the people of Canada are kept on the outside. We have no decision-making power. We're disempowered, right? And we watch these uh, sordid dramas uh, play out, right? And uh, for me, the, the, there's a systemic problem here that uh, that is a larger thing that has to be addressed, rather than you know the whether or not uh, someone's done something illegal or whatever. Right. I mean, there there they are private clubs. We know this about the system, and and frankly, only about two percent of Canadians belong to them. But Patrick Brown did bring in 100,000 new conservative supporters. That's what he claims. Um, and he also claims that many of them are uh, from diverse communities. I mean, is this is knocking him out actually going to hurt the, the party in the long term, Art? Oh, no, I don't think so. I think it'll help the party uh, less fight infighting in, inside them, the party itself. Uh, like, he was pushing uh, all the usual uh, liberal buttons like uh, the race card and so on he's a diverse candidate he he will march in gay pride parades he will do all this kind of stuff uh, and instead of just you know conservative policies uh, the, the main thing that conservatives are concerned about is fiscal balancing and uh, individual freedoms things like that and uh, he was echoing the liberal party line so if he's gone, there'll be a whole lot of uh, less uh, controversy on that. Um, and uh, there's no other candidate who has excluded anybody else. So uh, it, it's, it's he was bringing these things up uh, just to try and basically sort of disqualify his opponents and uh, paint them as uh, racist, evil, homophobes or things like that, you know, the, like they normally do. Uh, it wouldn't have worked. Trudy, you got any? What about those hundred thousand people that he signed up? You think that they're uh, they're going to walk away, or are they going to they're going to switch allegiance? Well, I well I hope not because, and I think um, like I I actually like other than his his um, calling everybody else racist and all of that stuff like like that I just find that despicable um, because there's way too much of that happening these days, and it's just such a lazy way to to brush your political opponents because. I mean, as soon as you say, well, I'm not a racist, then it's like, well, then game over for you, right? So, 
Um, however, as to his, the people who bought memberships um, in the Conservative Party, you know, through his influence, I mean, I think those people are well served by by being conservative. And I think even despite Patrick Brown's, you know, calling the other candidates racist and that kind of thing, uh, the Conservative Party is a very attractive uh, political option for for a wide wide range of people, and especially a lot of uh, recent immigrants to Canada, because they come here for freedoms, like Art was saying, and they come here for financial opportunity, and and that those are things that are that's part of the conservative message, right? So, and and individual opportunity, and and you know that opportunity to uh, improve yourself and and better your family's condition. That very much a conservative thing mm, yeah that's interesting I, that that is a kind of an interesting uh play on that because um, you think about conservative values of family etc and you know many immigrants from from uh, more traditional societies whether they be germany or uh or india have those kinds of uh, values that, that are coming in um exactly. but the individual point is interesting because that's something that i think north america has uh has certainly um demonstrated its its leadership on um peter you got the last word on this you know what what do you think is next for patrick brown you think he's going to get back in through an appeal or is this is this it for him i I think it's very unlikely you know i don't i don't think that it was uh, at all likely that he could have won anyway right but uh anyway it's going to play itself out right Uh, unfortunately what you know what happens with this is you, you know it creates an atmosphere where people just get turned off politics, right? And it's not just confined to the Conservative Party, it's the other parties in Parliament as well. The Liberals are notorious for this kind of stuff too, right? And, uh, you know, so, you know, the the issue is uh, politics should be uh, something that is a, a very much respected uh, occupation, right? And, uh, you know, that people are involved in, large numbers of people are involved in. Uh, but... Um, Anyway, as I said before, the, the current system, uh, it, it keeps people out, and it, and it turns people off. You know, where, you know po- politics should be something very natural that everyone participates in and uh, has a role in, right? But uh, having private clubs run things goes against that. Right. We're going to switch gears and go across the pond Uh our, you know, our esteemed Westminster parliamentarian system started in the UK, and they're having uh, some serious problems with their prime minister now. He's now decided that he's going to step down after 50 of his ministers quit. Uh, <laughs> uh, Trudy, have you been following this? Uh, have you been following Boris Johnson's, you know, blip of a of a career as prime minister? And what are your well, thoughts on it? <laughs> a little bit. I didn't actually. See that the, what, what this latest accusation was about, but it was apparently he like I didn't read much about it, but it was apparently he promoted a, uh, a cabinet minister, someone to a position in cabinet who had been accused of groping. So like, I'll, I'll just give a little background. It was Chris Pincher was was promoted to deputy chief whip for groping people at a conservative party club. I just think that those words all should always go together. <laughs> Yeah. That was why he was promoted. Sure, for groping <laughs> to the whip. <laughs> <laughs> oh golly! I mean, the funny thing is, I, I just 
I, I just find it amazing that, you know, that we here in Canada have a prime minister that has been accused of so many of these same things, and yet he just skates over everything. And here's Boris Johnson resigning because of this. Like, hello, uh, why, why? I don't know. I, so I, that's my main issue with that. It's like, seriously? And we're still tr- stuck with Trudeau, and he's been accused of so many things and has done so many things, so many ethics violations. So I have a hard time looking past that because I'd rather that we judge our own house before we judge too harshly someone else's, I guess. I mean, I was looking at the at his approval ratings, and the only time he ever he went over 50% was uh, right at the beginning of COVID. And since then, he's basically been in free fall. So we're talking <laughs> about Boris Johnson. Like, it's, I you know... Say what you will about Trudeau and his ethics, potential ethics violations. Um, the guy can maintain pretty high approval ratings. Peter, what do you think about this uh, Boris Johnson? Uh, and where does it leave the country? Uh, what is it? So, so I didn't hear the last part. Where does it leave the UK right now? I mean, they're they're looking at one of the weakest economic performances of uh, the G20. You no, know. it means uh, there's a lot of problems that the UK faces, right? No, the whole thing is, uh, you know, post-Brexit, like, where is the U.K. going to fit into the globalized world? Scottish independence is looming. There's looming strikes, there's soaring inflation, and so on. So there's a whole bunch of problems, right? But, you know, like, I think Johnson is just one example of uh, the very poor quality of leadership that exists on a on a world scale, I, I think, right, in terms of, uh, you know, what we have, right, you know, like he comes across as a clown. And, um, you know, we, we have this situation, you know, the Ukrainian situation where Johnson was one of the biggest uh, promoters and, and pushers for, you know, this Ukraine thing and Russia to, to continue rather than seeking di- diplomatic uh, solutions and so on. He, like Trudeau, have pushed the opposite, right? And who's suffering, of course? uh, uh, Ukrainian people are suffering and Russians are suffering, right? And uh, I I have no respect for him, right, in terms of um, being an armchair general, you know, uh, pushing this this war in Ukraine and uh, as well as uh, uh, not dealing with the problems that um, the U.K. is facing, serious problems. Right. Well, Art, you get the last word on this. What are your thoughts on Boris Johnson quitting and what's next for the U.K.? Well, he was forced out. Uh, and uh, I think the reason goes a lot farther than uh, just this uh, most recent scandal. Uh, he came in uh, as the savior of the Conservative Party after Theresa May's disastrous term. And uh, he was going to get uh, the Conservatives back on track and Conservative values and uh, he had the wild hair like Trump, so everybody, the pundits, were calling him the British Donald Trump. And, uh, and you know, he, he fulfilled the, the Brexit promise by getting out of uh, the union, but then he veered left. He did the thing that so many so-called conservative leaders do. They campaign as a conservative and then uh, rule as a liberal. And especially on things like uh, illegal immigration, I mean, there's one small town somewhere in England that has small village, 700 residents, and uh, the government says, oh, we're shipping you 1,500 illegal migrants, mostly young men, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, just open your doors to them. 
people don't like things like that. And his, his wife is a rather radical green activist, a global warmingist, you might say. And uh, when it came to the climate change legislation and new rules and regulations and deadlines, he was seeming to follow her directions. He was imposing uh, measures that could not be uh, achieved, uh, unachievable goals, and he killed off fossil fuel generation of electricity before he had anything to replace it with. So, yeah, people were just getting tired of that. And then with all the latest stuff and the ministers start rebelling, uh, he had to go. Wow, that's great context. Thanks for that, Art. And we have to take a break. We'll be back after these messages. Hi, this is The Wolfman. CFIS FM features two weekly shows dedicated to local musicians. Homegrown, Friday night at 10, and Homegrown Light, Wednesday afternoon at 1. Both shows feature music and interviews from local artists performing and recording in our area. Homegrown features a mix of heavier sounds, and Homegrown Light focuses on the softer sounds. Check them out. Homegrown, Friday night at 10, and Homegrown Light, Wednesday afternoon at 1. Only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Summer is here at Boston Pizza. Join Boston Pizza for their fabulous summer promotional menu on the patio with amazing new snacks, pizzas, and drinks for you to choose from. And don't forget about their happy hour from 3 to 6 and 9 to closing every day. Call Boston Pizza Spruceland at 250-564-1221 or Boston Pizza Brookwood at 250-562-1414 to book your reservation today. Choosing to be curious is choosing to be vulnerable because it requires us to surrender to uncertainty. We have to ask questions, admit to not knowing, risk being told that we shouldn't be asking, and sometimes make discoveries that lead to discomfort. This is Kaylee from Books and Company, and that was a quote from Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart, mapping meaningful connection and the language of the human experience. Come check out this big, beautiful self-improvement title in store at 1685 Third Avenue or online at booksandcompany.ca. We're always happy to chat with fellow book lovers. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today with a 30% chance of showers this morning, a few showers beginning near noon with wind from the southwest at 20 and the risk of a thunderstorm, a high of 19. A few showers tonight ending near midnight, then clear Southwest winds becoming light this evening, a low of 11. For Saturday, a mix of sun and cloud. Wind becoming southwest 20 in the afternoon, a high of 20 with a high UV index. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back, and I I wanted to talk a little bit about... um this problem that's been brought up about knockoff native art here in Canada. I, I just want to share a short story. I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, uh, where they do have uh, laws about um, how you know native art can be sold. And I, I was at an art museum, actually, and I saw this amazing piece. It was a, a spray-painted pink totem pole that had been cut up and then re- and put back together in the wrong way. And the title was... Is, is this right or something like this? Is, isn't this the way it goes? And the totem pole itself had come from Bali, Indonesia. And, like, they, they've they got great wood carvers over there, but they create a lot of knockoff native art. And the artist was a, a West Coast artist. And, he had, you know, he was making this point about, like, the, the, the symbolism of these things is pretty deep. And you don't just get to carve a bunch of them uh, together and sell it, right? I'm wondering what the panel thinks about uh, actually using... Uh, you know, laws to, to support artists here in Canada to prevent counterfeiting and knockoff uh, sales, especially from China and Taiwan. Uh, what do you think of this, Peter? What's your position in getting legislation or regulation involved? 
Uh, well, I, I would be for that, right, in, in terms of uh, import restrictions, copyright legislation, toughening it up, uh, you know, pursuing this kind of stuff, because it, it, it's, a, it's a problem. It's a, it's a theft problem. It's a, it's, a, it's a crime problem. And, uh, you know, fake art is a global problem, right, you know, because uh, there's indigenous art that is uh, being faked, but there, then there's also non-indigenous art that's being uh, faked, right? So... Uh, I support the idea of uh, a country like Canada, you know, having, um, you know, restrictions on this kind of stuff, right? You know, because uh, what happens is that, uh, you know, the the artists themselves get, uh, you know, hit by this, right? And uh, they put a lot of work into this, and it's very important in the cultural area, as well as, uh, you know, just making a living, right? And uh, it's, it's not good that uh, you can have... Um, markets flooded with 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 fake art and nothing done about it all right uh, so you're you're up next art you might what are, what are your think thoughts about getting regulation involved in art like they do in the united states i think it's a real good idea uh first of all i don't like uh anybody uh counterfeiting and doing cheap knockoffs of uh other people's work and uh, undercutting them and and the like, uh, it, it's a nasty form of theft. So, but especially for the indigenous art, uh, first of all, I really like some of the stuff they do. It's I'm really impressed with it. Uh, even if I don't know what the symbolism is, uh, I, the pieces I've seen are are quite impressive, and I like them. Especially stuff done on wood, since I work with wood so much. And uh, yeah, it. it this is also something else after their history of being knocked down so much as a people, as cultures. This is something that uh, relates to their culture, uh, that gives them pride in themselves, in their culture, gives them something to come back with, to reestablish themselves as part of their identity. Uh, and even if not themselves the artists the members who are artists uh give pride to the whole community and uh when when we're looking for ways to get uh, indigenous communities out of poverty um into the mainstream uh, participating in the the whole economy this is one major way to do it and uh for foreign operators to undercut them like this and that that just ticks me right off i can't say the nasty words on air that i want to <laughs> we don't want a crtc uh, to come down on no. us there uh trudy you are you in agreement here or you think that this should be left to the uh to the market to decide <laughs> that was a good question um it's theft uh, we don't have a market or eventually you won't have a market if you allow theft to happen um and that's one of the reasons why uh, I mean, you you need a society where people have recourse before the law. And I, and I know I have a friend of mine who is a Métis artist, and she had she was shocked one time. She walked into a, uh, I mean, I won't say the name of the retail establishment, but there was a piece of clothing with her design on it. And she, she was just shocked, right? But, of course, there was, she couldn't, there was, the, the 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 process to try to contest that was completely convoluted and just horribly difficult, and it never came, never went anywhere. Um, and I know that you're never going to be able to to 
prevent all of that, especially in a global economy where you've got huge shipments coming in all the time and you just simply can't check everything. But I think maybe one thing that we could, like, there should be more education around it. Um, perhaps uh, when people are coming to Canada as they're crossing into our border, uh, maybe we should have, like, besides, you know, improving our copyright, like Art was saying and Peter, um, besides improving our protections for, for especially for Indigenous art, uh, we could have like a, a little warning, like when they're crossing the border, like don't buy stuff that isn't doesn't have these labels on it, like and or make sure that what you're buying isn't hasn't just been made in Bali or China or something like that. Um, and part of it is part of part of it is cultural, right? Because I mean, we're buying junk. Uh, and we're buying loads of junk, and it all ends up in the landfill eventually because it's worthless. Whereas something that you're that is authentic, that you've paid good money for, is probably not going to end up in the land in in, in the landfill. Um, so I think it's it's sort of a cultural value thing as well, um, where you know we have to teach people that like don't buy stupid junk. Um, and do invest in good quality things. Do invest in authentic art that has been handcrafted by somebody who actually has a connection to to the art. Um, yeah, that's that's my take on it. Yeah, I mean, the um, I actually have this silver and turquoise cuff from the United States, and it was produced by a Navajo uh, artist, and it came with a little certificate of authenticity, right? I mean, maybe that's exactly the kind of thing we need to put in place here in Canada. Uh, we'll have to take a short break, and we'll be back after these messages. Nominations are now open for the Prince George Chamber of Commerce 37th Business Excellence Awards. Award categories include Business of the Year, Business Person of the Year, and the Top Nonprofit Charity Award. You can also nominate for the Service Excellence Award, the Business Resiliency Award, and the Support PG Award. To nominate online or for more information, visit pgchamber.bc.ca. The 37th Business Excellence Awards, a tribute to discovery. Nomination deadline is July 22nd. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing their series of online webinars. Everyone is encouraged to learn more about dementia and its stark impact on Canadians through their website, alzbc.org. While there, you can also register for their free webinars or watch previous presentations. The next webinar is on transit accessibility and challenges, tips for people living with dementia, next Wednesday from 2 to 3. The Alzheimer's Society of BC, bringing you support and information for dementia at alzbc.org. Organizations wanting to become a more inclusive and accessible employer are invited to take a 15-minute disability-inclusive employer self-assessment. The assessment will help you gain a deeper understanding of where you're doing well and where there's room to improve. For more information or to access the assessment tool, visit disabilityinclusion.ca. The disability-inclusive employer self-assessment is made available by Open Door Group and Presidents Group, two organizations committed to improving employment for people with disabilities in Canada. Canada. If you attended a federal Indian day school, now is your time to make your claim. If you experience harm at your school, you may be eligible to receive a check for compensation. Remember, you need to make your claim before July 13, 2022. See if your school is on the list and get free legal help. Start at IndianDaySchools.com or call 1-844-539-3815. Claim 
What's yours? Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. So on June 22nd, 95% of the membership of the B.C. Government Employees Union actually voted in favor of a strike. Um, recently, the government actually sent the individual members of the union, this is an interesting move, uh, an offer of, I think it's about 10%, 9.99% wage increase over three years. And one of the issues that we're, uh, you know, dealing with is this massive inflation. Um, Art, you're up first. I mean, what, where is your, uh, thinking on how this, uh, union, the offer should be accepted by the union or not? And, and are we in a place where, you know, unions are supposed to be there for, uh, you know, to make a trade-off for security versus um, the potential for increased pay in these kinds of situations? Well, the union is supposed to look after the membership. Uh, Security, I I think they have job security with or without a union uh, because there are uh, labor laws in this country that must be adhered to. Uh, But, you know, if I was a BCGEU member, I'd vote against that too. Uh, 9.99% 9.99% over three years while inflation is running at 8%. That means in three years you're going to lose like 15% uh, of your purchasing power if inflation continues on and inflation might get higher. I can remember back in the early 1980s when inflation was running at like 18% or something. Back then, uh, a lot of unions, uh, they were getting left behind their membership wages and they were demanding big raises. But they did not go for three-year contracts. They were demanded only a one-year contract because you don't know what's going to happen in three years. If you go for a, uh, a 10% increase over three years, you, you're just gambling on what it's going to be like three years from now. It might be down. The government is hoping you'll, or they'll tell you, oh, inflation will be over then and it'll be down to like 1% or 2%. And I have heard some forecasters say that uh, it will be. It's going to drop. Um, but you you don't know. And uh, so uh, as far as the uh, union is concerned, I would insist on a one-year contract. Uh, n- not necessarily 10% in one year or even 8%, but a one-year, no more than that. Peter, what's your thoughts here? I've heard that uh, cost of living increases are actually unusual in union uh, agreements. Uh, should we be making that? Should we should we be changing that? I think that's a good idea of it because what's happened over the last several decades is that uh, workers, uh, employees uh, in both the public and private sector, like the, their wages have been stagnating, and now it's going as Art points out is going backwards now, in the sense of. Uh, uh, losing every year uh, and uh, cutting into their wages and and, and so on. So uh, I'm yeah I'm for um, you know uh, I think that in this in these circumstances both public and private sector workers should should aim to uh, go for uh, you know something that's going to compensate for this uh, inflation. Otherwise, what's happening is that their their wages and uh, their, their livelihoods are just being uh, eaten away by this um, by this inflation and uh, we need a situation like uh, of course what happens here is people's purchasing power gets uh, uh, affected in a big way 
And down the road, yeah, we don't know where um, things are going with this, right? Because if you keep uh, hitting the purchasing power of the vast majority of the people, you know, sooner or later you're going to get into a, a crisis of overproduction where too many goods are being produced and people just don't have the money to pay for them. And then, of course, you're into some really serious economic stuff. So I'm all for workers going for it now and um, uh, at least, uh, you know, keeping up to the... Uh, uh, the rate of inflation, you know, so I think it's reasonable for uh, both both pu- both public and private sector workers to go that way. Okay, and you're not concerned about the uh, liquor store being shut in the middle of summer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Trudy, what what's what are your thoughts here? Is this is this something that uh, you know, like I, like I mentioned at the top there? Traditionally, your unionized employees were kind of trading in the potential for higher gains for uh, for better job security. But should we be tossing that out and, and kind of thinking about union wages as trend-setting instead? Um, golly. I, I'm not sure that... I mean, union, wage, union wages do sort of trend-set... Um, because especially as our government seems to just be getting bigger and bigger, so then, of course, the private sector does end up competing with the public sector to attract people. Um, However, having said that, uh, government employees, government employment is something that only certain kinds of people are attracted to for, you know, their own personal reasons. Um, So maybe maybe it's not so much of a competition Competition, but I certainly don't blame the union for uh, wanting to see a higher in- increase than three percent. Because every time I'm going to the grocery store, in the lineup, people are talking about how incredibly expensive groceries are. We're talking groceries, um, and this is something that everyone is concerned about. And I don't blame them for trying to, for something better. And like Art and uh, like Art was saying, and, and like Peter too, but Art specifically about um, maybe they need to just go for a one-year contract because it is so volatile. And I can't see I can't see how they're going to slow down inflation with because of, uh, of how much money they've been borrowing. So uh, we're in a tight bind here. I <laughs> it's it's a difficult spot, and I don't blame them for wanting. Uh, to delay and, and I, I mean at the same time I don't blame the government for sending them individual offers that is very unique uh, but uh, so I'm not quite sure what they're trying to do there but I would say that I mean the union is certainly well within their purview for asking for more because that's I mean people are paying more than that just for those of you who are keeping track of home, that's two segments where the whole panel has agreed <laughs> uh, you know it's One of the questions that I've got is, well, is this a self-fulfilling prophecy then? Because, you know, you, you increase wages in a, in this environment. That's supposed to be increasing purchasing power, but as inflation rises, it, it just, is is it possible for this to balloon balloon out of control? Does anyone have a, like, does anyone have any idea of how that's, how those things are related? Well, the the first thing I would say is that, in this inflation that's taking place right now, it is, wages were not have not been driving up inflation. And uh, in, in fact, it's the opposite. Workers are falling behind. There's other factors in terms of uh, inflation. You know, the international oil prices, the food supply shocks, the housing shortage, and you know, anyway, uh, various. 
things uh, that are contributing to it, but wages are not, right? Uh, hyperinflation, yeah, that can happen under certain circumstances, right? But they have various tools to, uh, to uh, d- deal with it, right? But um, you know, the problem is, is that whether there's inflation or deflation and all this is too often... It's the people at the bottom, They're, you know, the ordinary people who, who get hit and suffer the most coming out of this, which is, you know, you have globalist corporations and all this uh, that uh, find their, uh, always find a way to make hay out of uh, this kind of stuff. But uh, for, for ordinary people, it's a much more difficult circumstance. Right. Well, we'll take a break and we'll be back after this. The Seniors' Fair is back at this year's B.C. Northern Exhibition. Thursday, August 18th from 10 to 5, Kin 3 will be home to exhibitors promoting products or services to Prince George Seniors. Organizations looking to book a table or booth should contact the Council of Seniors for full details. Call 250-564-5888 or stop by their office at 7th and Victoria. Vendor booths are still available. Early bird registration deadline is today. Pioneer days to modern ways. This year's Seniors' Fair at the BCNE, Thursday, August 18th. The Heart Pioneer Center is holding a garage sale Saturday, June 25th. Inside tables and outside car stalls are just $15, while truck stalls are 20 Proceeds help support the Pioneer Center and its activities, including their Meals on Wheels program. Item donations are welcome, and there will be a hot food concession featuring hot dogs, pop, and chips. For more information or reserve your spot, call 250-962-6712. The Heart Pioneer Center Garage Sale, Saturday, June 25th, from 9.30 to 2. Visit Rita Leisner's The Tree Planters before it closes at Two Rivers Gallery. Take in the exhibition and meet the artist during the closing celebration, Thursday, July 14th, from 7.30 to 9. The Tree Planters is on display through Sunday, July 17th, but the closing celebration is your chance to hear firsthand from Rita Leisner about her work. That's the closing celebration for Rita Leisner's The Tree Planters, Thursday, July 14th, from 7.30 to 9 at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. Forecast from Environment Canada. Mainly cloudy today with a 30% chance of showers this morning. A few showers beginning near noon with wind from the southwest at 20 and the risk of a thunderstorm, a high of 19. A few showers tonight ending near midnight, then clearing. Southwest winds becoming light this evening, a low of 11. For Saturday, a mix of sun and cloud. Wind becoming southwest 20 in the afternoon, a high of 20 with a high UV index. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. I wanted to continue on this kind of topic of the economy and you know there's some some very smart people out there who are saying although it's true you know Peter was mentioning the inputs into the economy right now are where really uh, driving up this inflation um including the the price of oil and the cost of food that's related to both the war in Ukraine and climate change you know you've you've got all this um kind of consumer confidence uh, built into this thing. If we think that we aren't going to be able to afford certain things, we stop buying them, therefore the demand for them goes down, therefore their prices go up. There's some some interesting economic uh you know, situations that can happen from just just our minds. I mean, we know about how uh, bubble economies work when people think that things are inflated, like the the dot com bubble in the early two thousands. Uh, Trudy, let's start with you. I mean, do you th- how much do you think this consumer confidence issue is actually at play for the current uh, the current inflation talk and the and the potential for us to go into a recession? I think that's a macroeconomics question, right? And 
I think any anybody who deals with that, they know that it's sort of a, a difficult thing to, to predict. However, they can look on the macro at the trends, right? And I think that's a, it's uh, any effect like that is going to be short term. I think long term, we have these major problems with the government spend, uh, government spending so incredibly amount such a huge amount of money, printing money, and then also another thing that we haven't touched on is the the fact that we are that our productivity, especially in Canada, it's terrible. Like we were, we are still not making gains in productivity, and the thing that affects productivity is not. It's not like you're in your office working harder. <laughs> like that's not what it means. It, it means um, uh, there are so many things that make it difficult to produce product because wealth is created when you take a raw material and you add labor and you produce something that's worth more than both. And when you have a lot of government regulations on every single part and a lot of red tape that is unnecessary and unneeded and redundant, that increases the cost of everything. And that's something I think that is going that is a much more significant problem long term. All right, what do you think about this consumer confidence issue and uh, consumer confidence? Well, there's been a pent up demand uh, ever since uh, the COVID uh, re- restrictions have been relaxed, and so there's a lot of people spending an awful lot of money. Uh, so I, that implies some consumer confidence. Uh, and it's it's like there's a boom and a bust at the same time. It seems you know there's there's all kinds of uh, jobs available. Uh, there's all kinds of um, different uh, opportunities available, and uh, sales are going up, and everybody's happy except inflation is going up too. Um, there's going to come a point, you know, when. This this can't continue. Booms never last. So even this modest boom that we're going through now, even if, if it's a, a COVID boom, uh, it will come to an end. And uh, then what? Well, that's where the pundits are. Some of them are predicting recessions. And some are saying a massive recession, even a depression. Others are saying a soft landing, just a mild recession. But they're all saying recession, so uh, that will affect consumer confidence. They might hold back on uh, massive purchases. I, I see the price of gas is going down, the price of housing is going down, things like this. Maybe it's starting now. I don't know. Um, but it all contributes to inflation. But I agree with Trudy. Uh, one of the biggest contributors was the uh, government printing all that money for the past two years. Uh, that basically decreases the value of the existing money, which inflates it. Um, and the government, in the short run, governments uh, benefit from inflation because uh, as prices go up, so does their taxes, you know, because it's all based on the prices. So they collect more money, which should be good for the BCGEU because the government can afford to pay the higher wages. <laughs> That's that's actually very good. I like the boom and bust at the same time, right? Uh, this seems to be exactly what's happening. We have all these jobs that are that are created. Uh, Peter, what's your thoughts here? Are you know can consumer confidence and increasing consumer confidence actually kind of break us out of this? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm not I'm not sure about that, right? You know, like the the problem goes back like the, the, the last 20 years or even more than 20 years uh you know like w- the, the the big business and big bankers and all this the one thing that they've been trying to avoid is deflation 
you know, like especially after this 2008 uh, economic crisis there, you know, because deflation is a huge problem, right, in the sense that uh, people say, well, I'm not going to buy the cars now because maybe next week the car is going to be cheaper. And, of course, when, you, when that's taken to an extreme, you end up with a depression like the Great Depression. You know, so we have this overall situation of, um, you know, the de- deflationary tendencies. But what's happened with the COVID thing is it sort of threw a monkey wrench into that. And so then we're into inflation. So it's, uh, in a sense, you know, the, there are two simultaneous, uh, as Arda saying, uh, simultaneous things sort of going on here. Uh, and we'll see how it plays out. My view is that the, this current model of... Um, globalization that uh, exists, right, uh, that we're in, a, we're in actually um, uh, a kind of like a crisis period with it, right? It's not not dealing with the problems that people are facing, and uh, uh, control is out of the hands of even, you know, the even particular governments, and, uh, you know, they're, they're handed over to international bodies and, 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 and so on, right? And we, we need a we need uh, strategies, nation-building strategies within the globalization that exists now. But uh, anyway. Yeah, it's a complex issue. I mean, this is, uh, we're looking at the highest inflation rate since about 1990, which, you know, that, that was a big recession that occurred then. Um, I mean, all I guess we can say is that hopefully this starts to calm down and this uh, pent-up demand that Art was mentioning actually releases something and uh, and we can get back to normal. We'll have to take a break. We'll be back after these messages. Shakespeare is coming to a stage at Theatre Northwest July 15th and 16th, but in the form of dance. Method Dance Society is presenting Shakespeare City, a whimsical post-apocalyptic journey to a world populated only by a small group of Shakespeare's most fascinating and mischievous characters. The performances will also include live music as well as audio-visual effects. Shakespeare City opens July 15th at 8, and tickets are available through theaternorthwest.com. Shakespeare City by Method Dance Society, July 15th and 16th at Theatre Northwest. West. Summer Art Monkeys is back. Studio 2880's popular kids program is Wednesday mornings through July and August with a wide variety of projects to keep your child entertained. Art journaling, clay works, nature art, and artful goop. Each camp is led by a top local artisan. Cost is just $45 per workshop with easy online sign-up at studio2880.com. Summer Art Monkeys, Wednesday mornings from 9 to noon through August 24th at Studio 2880. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing in-person education with accessing services Wednesday, July 20th at the library. Learn about community supports like home care and adult day programs, as well as how to address challenges and work with health care providers. To register, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. Accessing services Wednesday, July 20th from 1 to 2.30 at the library from the Alzheimer's Society of BC. UNBC and the University of Waterloo will need participants for a new study on dementia. Persons living with dementia or those with experience as a caregiver for someone with dementia are invited to take part. Resources used in the study are designed to help persons living with dementia eat, move, and live well. Participants will receive a $100 e-gift card for taking part. For more information or to sign up to participate, contact Dr. Shannon Freeman by emailing UNBC dementia research at unbc.ca 
featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're going to have to go back to my favorite uh, topic here, which is, frankly, the homeless encampments in Prince George and and what's being done to handle it. Next week, uh, the city council is going to consider an encampment strategy brought forward by the uh, city manager and the public safety manager. Um, they're proposing that uh, they'll set aside a number of places in town where encampments are allowed 7 p.m. to 9 a.m., but there will be no daytime sheltering. Of course, this doesn't impact the place known as Moccasin Flats or Lower Patricia because that's been uh, protected by a court order. Uh, Trudy, what do you think about this, the 9 p.m. to 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. to 9 a.m., um, but then having to break down your tent in the, in, you know, during the day? Is this actually a feasible kind of, uh, way to manage people who don't have a place to live? Well, I mean, certainly not long term. And I, but I think what they're trying to do, which, I mean, is at least worth something, is they are trying to find something that'll work for everyone who is downtown, both both the homeless and the uh, and the business owners and the public who come to uh, do business downtown. Um, I don't like it's certainly not a long term solution. Uh, this might, um, you know, it 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 might work uh, for a while, but long term. I mean, of course, you know, we've, as we've discussed, there are. We seriously need to look at uh, better solutions for how we manage this whole situation. So, short term, that could work. Um, <laughs> Long term, of course, that's not an acceptable situation. All right, Art, what do you think about this? Seven p.m. to nine a.m. Actually, it seems to make sense to me. Uh, like Trudy said, uh, it's trying to do the best for the campers and for everybody else who uses the downtown. Um, if you let people set up permanent uh, encampments all over town, it's just going to increase the problem. I also very much like the idea of leaving Moccasin Flats alone, because not, not, not because of the court ruling, just because it's out of the way. And so they can have something more permanent. You know, uh, having a temporary overnight camping is fine, but if you want to stay in one place for longer... Well, Moccasin Flats is available, so I think that's a, a good idea. I also agree this isn't a solution to the whole problem, but it seems to be a way to manage it uh, for the the best results for everybody. I guess my question is, like, if we've got Moccasin Flats already, what about just providing some more services there and trying to concentrate encampment there? Peter, do you think that that's a, a way forward? Oh uh, yeah, that's one of the way forwards. Uh, uh, another way forward is to have uh, overnight sheltering in, uh, you know, Carrie Jane Green, Carrie Jane Gray Park, or uh, or Connaught Hill, or, or something like that. Right to to, to create a uh, a bit more opportunity for uh, for the overnight sheltering. The the problem that I see uh, with this is that. Um, you know, I, 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 I like the idea, like, of providing the, you know, the, the opportunity for overnight sheltering. But the, the, the problem that remains on the table, right, is that the, the, the people have to remove the, all their stuff, all their tents, all their belongings, and so on, uh, by 9 a.m. the next day. So, um, what do people, what do the, you know, the homeless people do about this, their stuff, right? And what that means is that the they're going to end up leaving it there and it'll get taken away. Or, or secondly, uh, they're going to take it with them and, um, you know, 
put it on sidewalks in front of stores and so on, right? You know, so to me, the, to me, this is a puzzle that can be solved. Like I agree with uh, uh, Trudy that this, this is a temporary solution, but, but um, it's a temporary solution that you know could deal with the present situation. Long term, of course, we need uh, uh, you know the, some real you know, serious housing to, to deal with the problem. But that problem of 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 not dealing with the the, the stuff of the possessions that people have, that to me is uh, that's a part of the puzzle that has to be uh, filled and sorted out, you know, for, for things to move ahead. All right, what do you think? Uh, if it's just overnight camping, they're not going to have too much stuff to pack away. I mean, they just packed it all there to where they're camping. They they will be able to pack it all away. That's not a problem. It's where you get into a permanent situation like Moccasin Flats where you accumulate too much to move. So that's why Moccasin Flats is so good. Trudy? I, yeah, I agree. And again, as a temporary sol- solution to solve a problem that is massive in terms of trying to get all government agencies and, and nonprofits to work together, uh, that's going to take time, and I mean, it's a good grief. It's already taken much too long, but but that is where we are. And I think I agree. Like it's, I think as a temporary, because the thing is, not not everybody who is homeless wants to to put down roots uh, such as they are at Moccasin and Flats. So this is perhaps, you know, it's, it's certainly not. It's perfect, but it's probably better than what we've got right now. I will say I was actually happy to hear that there, the policy will be to to um, maintain if they pick something up that that people that they believe to be abandoned, they will hold it for thirty days. I think this is lessons learned from November seventeenth last year when they destroyed Moccasin Flats, and there are about forty people who are now putting in claims because their things were destroyed, including you know memorabilia. I mean, what about? Um, you know, Peter. Peter brings up a good point. I, I know that there's not consensus on this, but like, really, there is. A, it's it's a lot of work to pack everything up every day. What if there were, you know, a couple of sea cans that were divided up into lockers? You could easily do that and just stick them down in moccasin flats. Is that something that people would agree with? Well, I would think so because, and I and I and I'm just surprised that the nonprofits that are downtown haven't sort of cottoned onto that. Just like providing. Um, like, like, I, like that's a sort of a question that I'd have for them. Is okay. So, why don't one of you focus on providing storage so that people don't have to cart all their private stuff with them? And one of one of the other organizations provides shower and toileting um, uh, facilities for them um, because that would go a long way to solving a lot of the problems that are happening downtown. Right. So, that would be my thing. Yeah. Um they're building this uh, three-quarter of a million-dollar bathroom in the park, so <laughs> I would think they could put something uh, down at Moccasin Flats for a whole lot less money and a whole lot more um, cubicles or whatever for people to use. Uh, this is one thing about when a whole lot of people are camping out is sanitation and health. So if you have uh, toilet facilities and showers, uh, wash facilities for people, that goes a long way, uh, and it will actually prevent the spread of disease. So uh, that is, I think, uh, you know, something a taxpayer should be willing to pay for. Peter, uh, you mentioned Kerry Jane Gray Park. Was that your thinking there? 
Uh, yeah, like I, I like the idea like of there being storage facilities, right? You know, because there are storage, like if you go swimming at the swimming pool, you know, you put your stuff in a locker, right? And uh, then you go swimming, right? You know, there should be, like for the homeless population, there should be the, the opportunity there to uh, safely and easily store your stuff, you know, and uh, I, I think that's the part of the puzzle that, uh, that needs to be filled. Uh, you know, and uh, then you create a situation where, whereby um, various problems are avoided. Excellent. I just want to celebrate all the consensus that we've had today on this show. Thanks, Art, Trudy, Peter, and everyone have a great weekend. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.